welcome to What I Didn't Tell My Therapist. This is a podcast where we explore sometimes the triggering issues of what it means to be healthy emotionally and mentally and spiritually, but also the things that uplift us and don't always find their way on a therapist's couch. Hello, Kelsey. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Yeah. I'm just really excited about the guest that we have today, Amanda Quick and her story, The Sex Trafficker's Wife. Yeah. She gave us a bio, but just enough to make me go, there's more to this story. She sounds like she's really made a lot of healing progress from being the sex trafficker's wife to now being a healer, quantum healing, which I'm very curious about. I'm not familiar. Yeah, I can't wait to hear more about that as well and how she uses that in her work and in her offerings. Yeah, here we go. Thank you, Amanda. So glad to see you here. Thanks for having me. Yes, we're here with Amanda Quick, who is a soon-to-be-published author, mother to three boys, a wife, and a quantum energy healer, speaker, and coach. Her memoir, The Sex Trafficker's Wife, released January 2023, shares the biggest trauma of her life when her ex-husband was arrested for attempted human trafficking in 2016. That event was a pivotal moment that changed everything. It was her catalyst for her spiritual awakening and taught her how vital it was for her to take back her power and fight for herself and her children. Today, she runs a healing and coaching business that helps others find safety in their bodies, connection to themselves, and to the universe so they live truly for themselves. Thank you for being here, Amanda. Yes, thank you. So your book, The Sex Trafficker's Wife, sounds very impactful. What do you want people to know about your journey, your story? And can you give us a little teaser for what's in store? Absolutely. So at the beginning of my book, it's written basically chronologically. It starts in 2016. I was a full-time stay-at-home mom. I had three kids. My kids at the time were one, four, and five. And one day my husband doesn't come home from work, just didn't come home. And at 5 a.m., I found him in jail and the charge was attempted human trafficking with a $250,000 bond. And I was shocked. I thought like maybe his wallet was stolen or something like that was the level of shocked. I was in complete disbelief. And so the story is my journey from learning that moment and the articles in the paper that came out and the people's response and the criminal trial and all of it, all the way through to my divorce in 2020, when I fought for custody and won. And so it's a huge, it's a huge transformational journey because I actually didn't leave the marriage in 2016. We didn't actually start to separate until 2018 because I believed I had to stay. I believed I was the reason my family had to stay together and I had to support my husband. So my kids had a father. I believed all of this about my life and largely because of my own father leaving when I was a child. And so the idea to sharing the story is to really walk people through with me and understand where I was because so many people are there. So many people believe they can't leave. So many people believe they have to do things. And each moment where I had new realizations and each awareness and as things shifted and changed, 
how I evolved and to the point where I could actually stand up. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you took back your power and got yourself able to stand up and fight? Yeah, it was the journey itself evolved over time. But in 2018, it was actually him who filed for divorce. He decided that because I was no longer interested in being partnered with him, that he was going to file for divorce. But he actually did it as a way to, as a power play, as a way to try to kick me out of the house, as a way to establish his, I'm going to be primary parent now, despite the fact that he was on probation as a sex offender. And it was this constant power and control dynamic using the children, using whose allotted time it was to control me, using the fact that he couldn't do certain things, but it was his time to have a fight about something. Every decision about the children was a fight about something and a way to interact with me. And I was sitting in a huge indecision. I didn't know what was right, what was fair, what was true, how to honor the fact that my children wanted to be in their dad's life, how to honor the fact that I wasn't safe around him, how to recognize and how to even know how dangerous he was or wasn't with them at the time. And things just got worse and worse and worse and worse. And the more the divorce drug on, the worse my children, the behavior got. And it got to the point where I was seeing the grooming behavior and I was seeing really inappropriate things coming and it scared the living crap out of me. And I didn't know what to do because I had supported him at one point. And so the legal system had decided that I had deemed him safe. And so I had to prove to the legal system that he was not safe in this moment with these children because a past offense no longer applied. And basically what ended up happening is I had to recognize that I was giving all of my power to the system. I was basically saying, because I don't know how to do this, lawyers and evaluators and judges, you figure it out. That's what I was doing because it wasn't comfortable to me to say, this is what's true in my heart and this is what I need. And so when, as I was doing that, I was seeing things basically play out in a really bad way. I was seeing what was likely going to end up being sharing custody with a man who was likely going to abuse my children. And I had to be like, no, okay, you guys are not figuring this out. I'm done. I'm taking my power back and now I'm going to solve this, but you can't just go take your kids and run. That's not how it works. As much as our mother hearts wants us to be able to do, that's not how it works. That's not going to help anything. And so what I had to do is take back the intention of what I was creating. I had to take back the power and the importance of the life that I was now wanting to live. And instead of saying everybody else go figure it out, say in my heart, he's not safe. In my heart, I know that he has no desire to get help. And I see that my kids are not safe with him. And so therefore this is what needs to happen. How can you help me do this? Trigger warning for folks. I need to ask this question for those who need these answers. You had mentioned grooming. Yes. And a lot of parents don't recognize what that is. And I was yeah. wondering if maybe you could give some examples that <laughs> woke you up. Yes. So the first one was my son who was seven at the time. I had picked him up from school. He had a school event or something and it was just him. And I almost never just had one, one child, but he was very excited to have one-on-one -on -one time with me. It was a super special thing. And he wanted to watch a movie and we sat down to watch a movie and he climbed into my lap and was like trying to kiss me in a almost sexual way. And I was like, excuse, get off. This is not okay. But it had this energy behind it. And it was like, what is, where is he getting this? He's seven. Where is this coming from? And I could feel this uncomfortableness in it. And so that was one of the very first, what is going on with my kid 
moments that I had. And the big one that sent me into actually filing a child protective services order that didn't go anywhere. That's another whole rant of mine. But he actually said, as I was dropping him off to school one day, sometimes I suck on daddy's fingers, just out of the blue. And it was very nonchalant and my heart stopped and I went, okay, don't react. Don't freak out. Don't show him that reaction because again, he's seven and I don't want to shut down any more information, but my whole body went, holy mother of what am I going to do? And there were more. He put him in a different bedroom from the other children. He would show up at night in his bed. He very much was the giving lots of attention. My seven-year-old at the time was also fairly effeminate and very much liked being cute and pretty. And so it was a very easy target in a lot of senses. And so it was very easy to be like, I'm just being nice and cuddly because that's what he likes. So the grooming behavior totes this line. It totes this line of how much, how can we push the boundaries just a little bit? How can we normalize things that are inappropriate? How can we just, it's no big deal. It's nothing, right? We're just being snuggly. That's what parents do. And it's almost like this, it's easy to explain away stuff, but there's some, there's an energy behind it that really feels dark and uncomfortable and gross. And so I had to listen to my instinct there. I had to listen to that not being okay. And it's not just that he saw some movie and it was emanating it because that's, yes, kids do that, but there was something bigger going on and it was always targeted at one of the children. So it's that kind of behavior that was showing up in my kids that really had me going, this is not okay. And, oh, wait, remember, this is the man who was arrested for trying to sleep with an 11 and 14 year old. And so when that got put together in my mind, it was like, oh my God, how have I now gotten to this point? Yeah, I know that's, it's heavy stuff. Yeah. And I was just curious about your children as far as explaining to them that transition away from daddy, because he's no longer safe. How did you explain that without shaming them or frightening them too much? During the custody fight, they were going back and forth between houses four times a week, like adding on top of the chaos. It was also a huge thing for them. And after the custody hearing, it wasn't instant cutoff. They were allowed afternoons only for about six weeks for two afternoons a week. And when I actually met with their therapist the very next day and all met together and explained to them that there was going to be a change in mommy time and daddy time, and they were going to spend all overnights with me and they would just go to him after school a couple of times. And there were feelings that came up, but there was never really big questions about why it was more just these feelings. And as if when you're as an adult, when you're trying to present something like that to a child, it's not so much about all of the reasons and excuses. It's more, this is what we're going to do now and allowing them to process the feelings about it because it's not a choice. It's not up to them at that point. It's really, this is what we've just, de- we've all decided is the right thing to happen right now, mommy and daddy included. And even though he wasn't actually there, it was just me and the therapist. It was, this is what the grownups have decided is best. So this is what's going to happen now. And then after those six weeks were up, because he didn't follow through with the orders that the court gave him on what he needed to do to be compliant, essentially, the next transition was to supervise only visitation. And so at that point, the afternoon stopped. And I was the only one at that round to share that information. And so I basically had the conversation with them that I had wanted him to have with them a year prior, because I wanted him to disclose more of his offense and what had happened. 
because this is the age of the internet and kids Google and middle school kids are still not the nicest children sometimes. And I thought it was very almost just like irresponsible to not share more with them because I didn't want the first disclosure to be to some kid in middle school. And so I shared with them more at that time, once the supervised stuff was enacted. And I basically told them that he had a sickness. He had a sickness that meant he couldn't tell the difference between right and wrong and that he was getting help for it. But that that also meant that he, they were going to be with me right now and that he was working on it. And you talk about it in a very everything is going to be okay. Everybody loves you. This isn't about something you did or something I did. It was very important to me to place blame where it was due. Every time it was, why can't we see him because of the choices he made, not the choices I made or the choices they made or the things that happened, but the choices that he made that until he's ready to get help. Very wise. Did you have any specific resources that helped you to make these particular choices and work with your children in a particular way? I primarily worked with a mental health professional who had lots of experience, especially with PTSD in these type of situations. I was my therapist at the time. I worked with her to craft a script, so to speak, of what I was going to share with my kids because that was now two years ago. So they were five and nine or eight and 10. So even younger. And so I needed a way to speak about his offense in a age appropriate way for all of them, knowing that each of them were going to have different questions and it was really about what, and I think this is something important for anybody in any type of situation when you're trying to share stuff with children, it's not how can I give them all the information? It's how can I share this to them with what they need to hear in a way they can digest it in the place they are developmentally? Because I don't want to have the conversation with a five-year-old that daddy tried to have sex with an 11 and 14-year-old. That doesn't make sense. It needs to be that he made mistakes and people got hurt in a way that a five-year-old can digest. And as they get older, you can expand on those conversations so that you've never lied to them. That's the thing I really wanted to make sure they never felt like I lied to them or kept things from them. I just only gave them what they could digest so that it comes through because even the conversations I've had two years ago, they don't always remember even at this point, they don't remember the details. They only remember the pieces that stuck out. And so we continue to have the conversations and they evolve because now at 10 and 12, my older two have a little bit of understanding of what sex is, but not, they don't grasp it like an adult does. So it's very important when you share stuff like that with kids, it's about what they can hear at their particular developmental stage. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Those are very helpful tips. Is there any advice or tips that you would have if people are suspecting that maybe something's happening with their children, but aren't? sure because I know like in a much less extreme example I I had a feeling that one of the groomers for my cat was abusing her and it was just a feeling I had mm -hmm. when my mother came to visit and and Kiki happened to get groomed she was like I don't like this person I think she's really mean to the cat we're not using her anymore end of story and I was like oh there's no doubting questions it's just straight action <laughs> But, but not everybody is that right. on top of I like your mom, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, for people who maybe were more like mm -hmm. me, who are just questioning, oh my God, I feel something, but maybe it's not true. What would you right. suggest? So this is the hard part because truly you have to trust yourself. You have to come back to the point where it's actually irrelevant if you hurt somebody else's feelings. If this is about safety for you or somebody you love, if we suspect something is going on, do something, ask the questions, report it, investigate it. Had I not ignored all the red flags early on, 
I would be in a very different position, but I didn't want to trust myself because I didn't like what that would mean about my life if I did going forward. But if something happens with a child, if whether it's a teacher or a friend's parents or anything like that, you absolutely, you owe it to not just yourself, but your child to say something, to do something about it. And even if that just means we're not hanging out with these people, that's okay. The other advice I have, especially when it comes to children is empower the child. There was a book I read and I've quoted it in my book. It's a child's guide to keeping private parts private. It's a very kid focused book. And I read it to all three of them towards the end of my divorce trial. It really just talks about keeping private parts private, what's okay, what's a red flag and what you should do if something happens to, to you, that's a red flag who you should tell, who you should talk to, because the child may be in situations, whether it be at a friend's house or not, that you're not there to protect them and having them be empowered to be like, Hey, this is not okay. And say something really can stop it in the moment. And so I did that as well. And it actually gave me more data that I ended up needing in my divorce as I was reading the book, because they stopped me and went, Oh, what about that? And it's really important that if there's anything, and honestly, for any child, we live in a different world where the internet is what it is and empowering the child and really trusting yourself, trusting those instincts, because especially as a mom, we know our children, we know that something is not quite right and we can ignore it or we can say something and get help now before it gets worse. Yeah. Yeah. Just being proactive. Unfortunately though, I think women in our culture have been groomed to yes. ignore our dark feelings. We have. And, yeah. And so it's really difficult sometimes, especially women that are finding their whole identity in the relationship with their husband, their family, this perfect sort of white picket type of thing. What did you, when you said you missed some certain red flags, I was curious to, as what those might've been and also what did you see losing? What was it was the dream that you felt like you'd have to let go yes. of? So there were red flags in the even beginning of the relationship that I was 18 when we started dating. So very naive in a lot of ways. And yet he was nine years older than I am. And he was married before he was actually cheating on his ex-wife with me. So huge red flag right there. Just to begin with, he romanticized my teenage promiscuity very much. Oh, you would go do things with them and they didn't matter. Why won't you, why won't you come do these things with me? So he very much tried to get me to behave in a way that I was no longer comfortable with and would guilt me if I said no. And so that was like early on red flags that I ignored. And I just was like, no, we moved on. And then he did eventually move out with his ex and we moved in together and I got pregnant. And I was, I had this idea that I won, I was right. I fixed the thing and everything is wonderful. And I had the white picket fence. It wasn't white, but I had the three kids and the dog and the husband who went to work and I stayed home. Like I had all of that and our relationship wasn't bad. We probably didn't fight at all. We also didn't really have many conversations about anything real, but we got along. The house and the kids were my responsibility. He had work. He worked really long hours and was not home very often at all. He went out of town at least a week out of the month, usually. And so we just lived these parallel lives 
and everything seems we have young kids. We connect later. That's how I had in my head. And there were also even smaller red flags throughout the marriage as we had the kids. Things like as he was packing for his trips, I would help him with his clothes, but then go away because now I have other stuff I need to do. And I had zero, zero access to many of his devices, any of his passwords, any of his things. I knew he watched pornography, but I had no details whatsoever. I didn't know anything about any of that, but also there was a part of me that didn't want to know. And that's the hard truth here is that all of those little things where you're like, is there something? And you just let it go. You immediately let it go. He traveled so much that I would have thoughts sometimes. Is there something going on? Cause we almost never spoke while he was traveling. And I'd be like, is there something, is there somebody else? Even I'd have those thoughts and I just let it go. I just dropped it. And so it's the same idea that we shut down those instincts. We shut down that intuition because I don't know that I want the answer to it. And I never in my wildest dreams did I anticipate what, what actually happened. I thought maybe there was an affair of some kind. That's the farthest it would go in my mind, but nevertheless, I shut all of it down. I didn't question. He actually admitted later at one point, he actually had thrown clothes away and he thought I might realize because that there was lipstick or something on the collar and he couldn't get it out. And I never searched things. I never checked that I just like literally had my blinders on. And so I think that's what happens to a lot of the times is people just, I'm happy in my total, if I don't know, then it can't hurt me is where I lived. And that the hardest part for me when blinders came off was ripped off me was I was holding so tight to that vision, that identity of who I was, that mom and wife, that was my world. That was my purpose at the time was to keep the family together, to take care of my children and my husband. That was my role. And when we split and when we separated, that's the pain. It wasn't the marriage that I was mourning. It was the family unit. It was the safety of not being on my own with three kids. It was the safety of having a friend to do life with, that was the part I mourned the most. Yeah. When I grew up with mom, it was just me and her. And I knew she was, well, she was working really hard to keep it together, but I can't imagine three kids. That's a lot. What sort of support do you have now? So my life has changed drastically in the last two years. So at the time in 2020, I basically had to decide no matter what happened, I was going to figure it out. Even if that meant I was doing it all by myself, I needed to be okay with that. I needed to be able to fight from that place. Not scared that I couldn't do it on my own. Cause at first I was, at first I was like, how am I going to support all of us? How am I going to do this? So in 2020, after he got to just supervised, we basically haven't heard from him since then. He just fell off the radar completely. There's been zero contact whatsoever since April of 2020, not a phone call, not a nothing. And in a lot of ways, it's a blessing because it means it's over. And yes, it's hard that the children lost a parent, but there's no more turmoil. There's no more back and forth. And two weeks after the divorce was when the pandemic hit. Just the world, everything changed. <laughs> And I was very grateful for the timing because it meant they were not quarantined with him either. It was just like the world went on pause. Everything shifted and we got to take a breather. And I ended up leaving my job in that summer as well, because working full-time from home with kids full-time at home was a challenge, especially when it was a corporate job. And so it left me with, what am I doing with my life? I don't even need to be in this town anymore. I don't have people because when he took off and we didn't hear from him, I also don't hear from his family either. So most of his family was in the same town and both his mom and his siblings also just stepped out of our lives. So I was left without any support of any kind and all of my family was elsewhere. So I decided it was time to move. 
it was time to move. I needed to start over. I needed to find my people, find my community. And that was the next focus that I have really had over the last couple of years is finding my people. And now I'm in a totally different place. And I just got remarried this year to a very beautiful, very different man. He's a yogi and a spiritualist. And, and I have another friend who actually decided she wanted to no longer be all alone by herself. And she lives in my basement. And so now I have three adults with my three children in the house together. And now the kids are able to be back in school too. And so everything is I have way more support than I have probably ever had. Because even as a stay-at-home mom, I didn't have the same kind of support either. It was just me. Yes, I had financial support, but I didn't have people. And now I have people. Now I have people who want to help raise my kids and do things with them. And that's not something I even thought was possible. Yeah. Another deep breath of, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, that must have been a really hard period of time where you just didn't know when the light at the end of the tunnel and you're now a healer is what you do part of what healed you yes you describe some some of your magic (laughs) so yes absolutely so after 2020 I jumped into searching because right before my divorce about six weeks before my divorce my therapist at the time actually suggested out of nowhere that I go see this psychic friend of hers and I was like is, are you, is that real? <laughs> I was totally agnostic, totally. I don't know. That's a real thing, but I was desperate at the time. I didn't care. I was like, fine, I'll go see anybody, <laughs> whatever. And I was just willing to try anything because nothing had been working. And this, this psychic that I went to see was reading a past life of mine with my ex. And as she was telling me what was going on and what was happening, I could feel my whole body just vibrating with this understanding. She was saying things that I had thoughts and beliefs that I'd had that I didn't share with her about why I had to stay. Like she was reading everything about why I had stayed in the first place and the fears that I had about being alone and what I couldn't do at that point in time. And it was like this understanding hit me that the fear I was holding onto about being afraid of him and being afraid of stepping forward and actually standing up to him wasn't actually fear in this moment. It was old fear. And it was fear that I had been carrying around that my body remembered, even if I didn't remember. And it was that moment that I flipped and I flipped the switch and I decided I was going to drop all of it. And I was going to stop looking at all of these other choices on the table. And I was going to stop thinking that he could get help and get better. And I was going to stop giving my power to the system and the people. And I was going to say, no, I'm done. We're getting out of this. We're not doing this again. That was the moment that I shifted and I was in the psychic's office. And so after my divorce and I succeeded, I was just like, at first I thought my angel guide saved me because that's where I was at. And then I jumped into wanting to search because if if other people can access this information, why can't I? That's how I, that's how I perceived it. I want to know more. I want to learn more. I want to, it was all of a sudden this awareness that there was more to this world than the physical. There was more that we couldn't perceive with our physical eyes. And I wanted to understand, and I wanted to understand why I had to go through the things I went through. And I want to understand how I could help myself and how I could help my kids heal from this. And so I jumped into quantum energy healing. I jumped into learning modalities where I could learn about past lives and I could learn about how energy worked and operated. And as I've done so, my own senses turned on and up, my own understandings. And I realized it wasn't something that I had to actually search for. I just had to remember it within myself. And as I was in these classes with all these other people that were massively clairvoyant, 
I would get the data just differently. I would just have the knowings and I'd be like, oh, this is the thing I've always done. I just ignored it. I didn't trust it. I didn't listen to myself. And so the more I got to explore and play with it, the more I realized how magical every single one of us on this planet truly is. We just shut it down and we turn it off. And so what I really love doing today is helping people remember that and walking beside them and helping them release those things that have been holding them back and all the pain and all of the trauma that isn't even relevant for right this moment, because everything, even if it's in this past, the, this lifetime past, it's still the past. It's not relevant for today. And you get to then recreate your future if you can act from a different energy. And so really helping people ground into the gravity of who they are so that they can operate from their soul's desires instead of the memories of what they should do based on what everybody else told them. Yeah. Is there any sort of particular clients that you enjoy working with or that you particularly want to share your healing offerings to? This one is hard for me. This whole like niche conversation is really <laughs> hard for me. I have arguments with my with business coaches all the time about this. <laughs> Everybody needs it. I don't oh want to my God. Away. That's how I, I, it's, it, I have, this is my problem with this because so much of my life, I've put myself in a box of who I was supposed to be, put myself in a box and I was the mom, I was the wife, I was the homemaker. I did these things according to these rules. And yeah, sometimes I didn't fit in the box very well, but I tried really hard. And this idea of a niche is just like, I can't, I find that a lot of people are attracted to me if they've been through things and they can recognize that I have some keys and codes to help them release their big traumas. But I also find people are attracted to me if they're just done, if they're just fed up with living the life that's of mediocrity of the way it's always been, and they're ready to step into the next level of themselves. They also are attracted to me because I hold that energy of big movement and big change and big impact. And so the way that I choose to operate is I'm going to share my truth. And if you resonate with my message, then I would love to see if working together is aligned. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Both Kelsey and I are multi-passionates and we're only adding to our laundry list of modalities that we work in. (laughs) Exactly. I want to do that. I want to learn that. But I was just thinking also when you were speaking about that one book, so it would be interesting. I don't know if there are any books out there for kids really tapping into their Claire's. There are. And I don't have any at the top of my head. There are definitely some about talking to angels just as another way to look at it. I know for my own children, I try very hard to not shut down their imagination. My 10 and 12 year olds still play in their magic world. And I love it because to me, that imagination is that gateway to the Claire's. And so my seven-year-old now will talk about what he sees through his third eye and He'll tell me that the tree is really this other thing. And it's beautiful because they're able to express more levels and layers of what they're receiving. And as they gain understanding, it just expands. And if somebody's not feeling good, one of my kids will go and be like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to help heal them. And he'll put their hands on. And I have a friend who was doing cranial sacral on me and he just came over and was just holding my head very gently. And she's, he's doing it. And he's just, he innately was easily adjusting my cranial fluid because his hands were just doing it. And so kids are magic. Everybody, like it just reaffirms this. Everybody has this magic inside them if we don't shut it off. And I would love to give the gift to my kids and more children that, that we don't, how many people come to me and other healers to release all the conditioning that got put on of us as kids. If we can empower our kids to not have that ever in the first place, 
they're set up so much better off as soon as they do hit adulthood. It's like they don't have to go through the next 10 years of pain and suffering because they can just step into who they are right away. And I find the deeper that you step into your own knowledge, it's almost like you repel the dark forces in a way. You do. Because they're like, oh, like there's no opening here, really. It's not that bad things don't happen, quote unquote, bad things. We know what they are, but it's in a way that you're able to navigate through them in a way that's there's less suffering, but also, yeah, the kind of people looking for vulnerability and weaknesses like your husband, or is that power dynamic of the age, right? Yes. And probably the secrecy too, because of your relationship. So you didn't, you couldn't really reach out to others and say, Hey, is this guy a good guy or a bad guy? Just because of how the relationship was. Correct. And most people were shocked too, honestly, like it shocked the town. We were a very small town. It shocked the town. There was a few people who were like, Oh, I had weird vibes from him, but he was well-known in his career. He was well-known at the company and well-respected. And so there was a lot of shock. And at the same time, you're very right. I also didn't have anybody to talk to about any of it. And I didn't trust my instinct. I didn't, I just had this, what I want. (laughs) And when you're 18, what I want wins usually. (laughs) And now I don't, for the most part, and we all have our days, but I operate from a level of trust in self. That's very different. It's very different than most humans operate today. If I get an idea I don't go, oh, is this a good idea? I'm like, oh, that sounds fun. I'm going to do it. That's how I operate my life. And oh, I want more support. That means I have to move across the country with my kids and my pets and my stuff. It's fine. I'm going to do it. It's going to work out. And I have that level of trust, even if I don't have it all figured out right away. And when people look at me and they look at the things I've done, they're like, I don't understand. (laughs) But it's because I trust that I've got me. The safety Insecurity comes from within myself, not something outside of self. And so I'm good. And therefore now my kids are good because I know I've created safety and security for us. And I will continue to do so because that's the place I operate from. That's so beautiful. And I'm so happy for you that you have that trust now in yourself and you can operate from that place. Is there anything that you'd want to share with people who might not be there yet about your kind of journey getting there? I think that the big thing is we all have it within us. We all have that knowing that light within ourselves. It's just finding it again. All of that seeking and searching I was doing, I was actually looking for me. That's really what I was looking for. And that's truly what all of us are looking for on some level is we're looking for ourselves again, because we can search outside of self. We can learn all the modalities. We can go to all of the psychics and healers, but truly the answers are within ourselves and looking back into ourselves to recognize that we've always had our back. Yes, there were lessons along the way. And by giving away our power, they were so we could learn those lessons. But on some level, our soul has always had our back. We've always had ourselves. And so once you realize how much you've accomplished to getting to where you are in this moment and how you've actually had your back the whole time, it's almost like this level of forgiveness of the times you felt like you didn't have your back. Cause that was huge for me. Like I should have known better. I should have known better. Why did I put myself through that? But I put myself through that because I needed a big ass wake up call. And I put myself through that so that I would understand how bad it gets for people. And I would really truly understand where humanity is in how much conditioning and beliefs that are wrapped around how we have to live our lives. I needed to go through all of that to truly understand so that as I got out of it, I could be like, okay, I get where people are. And now 
I can help them operate from that place within themselves because there's so many beliefs, even in society, we have to work the nine to five job. We have to have all of these things in order to be safe, in order to have our bills paid, in order to live our lives. And I call bullshit on all of it. You don't have to do any of it. You get to choose how you live your life. And that's what I want to help people operate from now is I don't have all the answers to how to fix all of the problems in society, but I do believe that there are people out there who have all of the answers combined. If everybody could operate from that place within themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Here's a random question. So in your work, you work with past lives and Mm -hmm. I've often heard that women or folks that identify female, that they have often found past lives where they were witches and burned at the stake. And I was just wondering if there's a lot of people who carry the witch wound. It's what people call it. And it's this fear that if they step into their magic, they will be burned essentially. And history has shown that was true for so long. And whether it happened actually burned at the stake or through social media, for instance, where we're recreating this experience where we step out with our truth and we are then burned. It's that pattern that repeats itself. And so we can release that pattern. We can collapse it and we can heal those things so that it makes it easier, but it doesn't stop that initial, can I do this? But it stops this belief that it's going to then burn you. And when you're no longer spinning and it's going to burn me even subconsciously, because truly we create our reality through our mind and our experience of what we have is created through all of the things that we believe in our mind. And so when we release that and we go, okay, this is scary, but I'm going to be okay. And it's going to be good on the other end, because I know this is the thing I meant to do it changes things. And even if we get the person who comes and says something, we're like, oh, okay, I see you. Nice try. I'm not going to let this stop me anymore. And do you have any sort of client stories of like before and after of what they've been able to do after working with you? I have many. Yes. I have people who have come to me in mass amounts of emotional trauma, emotional, like the darkest of things, darker than things I've been through. There are not many people in this world who can truly hold space for the dark stuff. And that's not a, that's not a wrongness, but most mental health professionals, even on some level are triggered by the dark pains and try as they might, people feel the triggers. It's the truth of the world to unpack those really heavy things. You need to find somebody who can truly hold space and not be triggered by your stuff, because if they add their triggers to your stuff, it's going to re-traumatize you. It's going to make it unsafe for you to truly unpack it. And so what I find for whatever reason, I'm one of the people who can hold space for the really dark abuse, the really dark stuff that has happened directly to people. I've had people, the moment they get on a call with me, they just start crying. And I'm like, what, what happened? And it's because they feel safe. Their soul feels seen and they feel safe. And that may be the only time they've ever felt safe in this world. And so they can unpack all of that trauma and they actually can choose to be rooted to this planet because there are people out there who have never felt safe in their bodies their entire life. There are people out there born to drug addicted parents who even in utero, they were not safe. And those people, after working with me, I have seen the biggest movements where all of a sudden money starts flowing in. They start stepping forward. They have new awarenesses. Their magic starts to turn on. And yes, they still have challenges to work through, but 
it's like something shifts and they see more of themselves in a different way. And so it's no longer, this can't work. It's now I'm going to make this work. And so that's the kind of shifting that I really love helping people with is that grounding into who they are so they can choose how they want to go forward. So do you have any particular offerings or anything you'd like to promote? So the biggest, obviously the biggest promotion I'm doing right now is my book. People can sign up for updates on my website and I'm sending some meditations on finding safety within ourselves and calling in our support people if you, if they want to sign up for updates and you can do that on my website at amandaquickhealing.com slash book. I also do work one-on-one right now with people. If they want to have somebody hold that place and help walk through whatever it is they're going through and they're ready to take the step in jumping into self. And you can find that information on my website as well. My program offerings are changing at the moment because I've been getting these crazy downloads lately and I'm very excited about what this going to turn into, but <laughs> it's like a mix of spirituality and quantum physics all conjumbled together. It's going to turn into something else entirely, but we'll see where that goes. But At the moment, my focus is really getting my book and story out there because I want to reach people who aren't just in the spiritual healing space. I want to reach people who haven't opened that perspective yet because there are so many people who are just in it and knowing that you can come out of that place if you're ready to me is hugely empowering. And my story just takes them through that journey. Excellent. And where can we find you on social media? We'll put the links in the writing for the podcast, but we would love to hear. Yeah. So I'm just Amanda Quick Healing on all of the platforms. So I'm on Facebook. I have Instagram, although less on Instagram than some people. I'm playing with the TikToks and I do have a YouTube channel as well. So I'm all over the place, but Amanda Quick Healing is my tag. I also have a Facebook group as well. That's, I believe if you just go to Facebook slash groups, it's Amanda Quick Healing as well there. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for sharing your really informational, inspirational, like all the things that we need on this podcast. Absolutely. I am so grateful to be here and to share. And it's as I share more and more of the story, it's amazing how many people can resonate with different pieces and parts of it. And it's so validating for me knowing how important the story was to write. It was not an easy book to write, but getting it out there and processing it through myself again with new awareness has also been very healing. And so I'm, I'm both terrified and excited to be bringing it out into the world, but we're doing it. (laughs) (laughs) exactly exactly yeah it sounds like a great place to be actually terrified and excited it's that like (laughs) mix of things but it's to me it's when you know okay this is really the thing I need to do because it scares me so I'm gonna have to push through this fear and I have to do it anyway yeah the fears that I'm coming across are like high value fears no I'm not going to be eaten by a tiger because I get on social media that's not gonna happen (laughs) exactly exactly so pushing through that and doing it anyway and recognizing that visibility and being seen and all of it is scary but I know that it's worth it Is there anything else that you would like to share for people just about either your offering Mm -hmm. or your own personal story and journey? The biggest message I would love, like if I could sprinkle something all over the planet and give everybody a gift, it would be that they truly trusted themselves. The world would be so different if people operated and trusted themselves first and stopped trying to give their power to their friends, their parents, the specialists, the everybody's You operated from the place where you knew your heart and you knew what was important to you. This could just change so fast. And so I just, 
I would love to invite everybody listening to remember that and to know that somewhere deep inside of you, there is magic. And whether you are working on finding it or you haven't found it yet, it's there and trust yourself to help you find it. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing that uplifting message. It's been quite a quite a trajectory (laughs) in this show and thank you so much for sharing your story and inspiration as I said before so wishing you the best thank you so much (laughs) what a story I didn't even really know who I was speaking to (laughs) yeah Amanda's just fascinating and so empowering I think people will really relate to just her journey and how much work she's done it just to get to this place of just pure lightness and operating from full trust. And such a short turnaround, really. Like she was talking about two years, which when you're dealing with such trauma and disruption and so forth, and then you're a mom and it's not just her, it's her children and trying to navigate all of that in such a short time when It could take decades for some people if they don't have the right access to the right kind of healing. I'm really excited to read her book and in spite of the scandalous title. (laughs) Me too. Kelsey, where can everybody find you? You can find me at dialogicalpersona.com and I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Dialogical Persona as well. And you can find me at leeladavis.com, although I will be doing some shifts in my offerings and so forth. So you visit it once, visit it again in a month or so. And also you can find me on Instagram at mypieceofsanity, P-E-A-C-E, and on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, what I didn't tell my therapist, all one word. There we are. We're waiting for you. Please share, subscribe this podcast and goodbye. Lovely, lovely people. We'll see you soon again in our imaginations, obviously.